Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. All right, good morning, everybody. Uh, Good morning to those of you that are online as well. Uh, Like Troy said, we are wrapping up this series on Elijah. I know for a lot of us, it's been so good. Uh, There's so much to learn from uh, Elijah. Uh, And so if you've missed the last few weeks, please go back uh, to hillcountry.life and get caught up. Um, There's so much to learn from him on prayer, on trust, on difficult uh, circumstance, on pain, and making it through those. And there's so much more in in the story. And so today we're actually going to talk about burnout. You may see that on your notes. Because believe it or not, Elijah, as, as close to God as he was, he experienced this. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt burnout? Where you wake up one day and you just can't? You're like, nope, not today. Where you're just at the end of your rope, you're, you're at the end of your patience, uh, you just can't anymore. You wake up, not even coffee is going to make it better, Right? Because you've gone too long, you've gone too hard, you have had too many things try to knock you off course through it, you just can't do it anymore. Now, this is still a little bit too soon for me, but I'm going to share it with you anyways, um, because it fits. And I share this uh, so you understand that I struggle with a lot of the same stuff everybody else struggles with. And so when we talk about we're imperfect people doing life with a perfect God, it is a constant reminder to me that I'm that. So here we were in the middle of COVID, and we had a lot of time on our hands, time specifically at home. And so, like a lot of people, we're starting to get antsy. Did anybody get antsy during that time? No. So we think, you know what? It's time for an adventure. It's time for an adventure. We had been kind of growing out of our current home, um, and as we, especially as our kids got older. And so we were thinking, you know what, we're going to uh, build up in Gerald, uh, really to get ready for those teenage years that were coming really, really quickly. And that's what we did. I mean, what better time to do that when you have all the time in the world, right? So we sold our house, and my sister and brother-in-law graciously graciously lent us their RV while the house was getting built. Here it is. I can't. It's too soon. Can't even look. So, so we set this up in Granger, and we're ready to go. It was an adventure. My sister says, it'll be fun, right? Now, if you don't know this about me, I, I'm going to give you a little insight into my personality, how God made me a little bit. I need to get away from people every now and again. I recharge away from everybody else. And I'm not very comfortable being dependent on others. It's not a thing I deal with well. And so as we're planning all this, um, we're told, oh, this will all be done in about three months. And I think, oh, that's not too bad. It's an adventure. It'll be fun. So what, ended, what, what started as a three-month adventure ended up being a seven-month nightmare, okay? 
Now, first, I have nowhere to go. There are five of us in here. And it's not mine. And so I, I feel the pressure of keeping it nice and undamaged. I'm borrowing something that I want to return in better condition than when I got it. And all of that would have been fine for three months. But then the freeze hit. Do you remember the freeze? It's kind of hard. Oh, it's kind of hard to forget that, right? All the power outages, all that stuff. That hit in the middle of this. And our neighbors at the time, the RV next to us said their RV got to negative 16 inside. Now, we shut everything down. And what an incredible blessing it was for us to be able to move into a small house on Pastor Brian and Wendy's property. It was actually Wendy's mom's house, but she was out of town. And it, it was an incredible blessing. But it came with the same feelings of, it's not mine. It's not mine. It's not mine. I'm not only dependent on my sister and my brother-in-law, but now I'm dependent on my boss as well. Now, meanwhile... The freeze is starting to thaw out, and a pipe bursts in the RV when we're not there, and it floods the thing to the point where the entire undercarriage is just waterlogged, and you can see that here. Oh. Now, I have these pics and videos now because I was dealing with the insurance as well, and any semblance of returning this thing in better condition than when I got it was out the window. And anybody that could possibly fix this were months and months out because of all the other repairs that were coming in because of the freeze. And so I'm stuck. I feel responsible. I'm responsible now for actually two places that aren't mine. I'm dealing with feelings of guilt and responsibility and anger. And I have all five of us still in this house or this RV and we're, we're all restless and we're all antsy. There's nowhere to go and everything seems to be breaking and falling apart around me. And then you add on to that just the general uncertainty and fear and craziness that was going on in the world at the time. I woke up one day and I was done. I just couldn't anymore. I didn't wanna to talk to anybody. I didn't wanna look at anybody. I didn't want to make any more decisions. And if I'm completely honest, I didn't even want to pray. I was done. What was once an exciting thought of a new house became a, why in the world did I do this thought? And even today, if I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't make the same decision. It was one of the lowest points I've had. And the thing about burnout is it doesn't just affect one part of life, does it? It bleeds into everything. Now, for some of you, you hear my story and you're like, ah, that's not that big of a deal. See, many of you have stories of burnout that could dwarf mine, and that's fine. I'm okay with that. But we can all look back on a time where we experienced this, where we experienced burnout, or maybe you're in that time right now. I get it. And so today I want to talk about it because it is quite prevalent right now in our culture. And we see Elijah go from these incredible highs with God, going from one of the greatest victories ever on Mount Carmel that we talked about last week to one of the lowest points in his life. And so we're going to pick up this story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19. Uh, we're going to start in verse 1. The Bible says, now Ahab and Jezebel. And just as a quick reminder, 
Ahab and Jezebel are these evil rulers that are turning Israel away from God. Now, it says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. And of course, she's referring to the the dead false prophets. In other words, Elijah, you're going to be a dead man of God by tomorrow. In verse 3, it's so interesting. It says, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Huh? What? When we read this, it's kind of confusing. If you, if you think back to everything God had done in Elijah's life up until this point, it's, it's a little confusing. And so let me review just real quick, because when you hear that, your response is going to be, well, What? Because week one, if you remember, we learned that King Ahab was turning the hearts of the people away from God. And so he raises up this prophet, Elijah, who stands down the king and says, it's not going to rain until I pray to God and ask him to make it rain. And of course, it doesn't rain at all. And then God takes Elijah to the Kareth Ravine where he miraculously provides for him and protects him. He he feeds him through ravens and water from a brook during this drought. And so Elijah learns to depend completely on God. And then one day God calls him out of the ravine to a place called Zarephath where he meets this widow who only has a, a small amount of food. And she thinks she's going to die, but God miraculously um makes multiplies that he makes it enough and so she survives and then this widow's son dies and Elijah takes him up to the up, upper room and prays and and God raises this boy from the dead and Elijah's like whoa god you are incredible you are faithful you are powerful you are a good god and he sees all of these things and then later god calls Elijah to go back to confront the king And Elijah says, you know what? Bring all your false prophets, all 450 false prophets of Baal, all 400 false prophets of Asherah, and we're going to have a showdown. We're going to have a little competition to see who the one true God is. And that's what they do. They they build up a couple altars, and these false prophets are, are dancing. They're doing all these rituals. They're shouting. They're cutting. They're doing all this stuff, and they're asking Baal to send down fire, but nothing happens all day. And kind of a little comic relief in this chapter, Elijah starts taunting them a little bit, like, well, maybe your God's a little, a little indisposed, right? Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's using the restroom. And then Elijah calls on the one true God, and immediately God sends fire, burns up everything. And Elijah's like, wow, you are so big, God. And the people of Israel are celebrating. They put the false prophets to death. And then last week, we hear him go up and pray for rain. You know, God, send the rain. It's time. And sure enough, God answers his prayer and brings rain again. And so we see God miraculously provide and protect over and over and over again. But then one day someone says, I'm going to kill you. And all of a sudden, he freaks out. He panics and he runs for his life. Like, What's that all about? That seems to be a a real right angle turn. Well, I think he comes to the end of his rope. He's burned out. 
in the, in the next few verses, we see what led Elijah to this. And if you've never experienced this and you're kind of curious, you want to know how to, how to get there, here are four easy steps to get you there. See, I saw these in my life as I look back a couple years ago, and I see them here in 1 Kings. Here we go. Verse 3 to 5, it says, When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Interesting. Elijah just had this enormous, miraculous victory, and now he's praying that his life would end. He prays, I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. So how do you get burnt out in four easy steps? Here we go. Step one, wear yourself out. Wear yourself out. Over the past few years, Elijah had been in this massive spiritual battle, trusting God and praying, trusting and praying, trusting and praying over and over and over again. It's battle after battle after battle. And then he runs for his life and he runs as far as he can. And then he leaves his buddy, his, his servant. And then he runs another day's journey into the desert. He is totally and physically exhausted. Much like many of you might be right now. And you may be wondering, why am I so burnt out? Well, first, you probably wore yourself out. Now, second is to shut people out. And we see that here as well. He abandoned his friend, his buddy, his servant. He said, oh, you stay here and I'm, I'm going to keep going. And I think that's what a lot of us do when we start getting overwhelmed. We wall up and we start to push people away. I'm just going to deal with this on my own. I, I can get through it. You wouldn't really understand anyways, even if I told you. I got this. So wear yourself out. Shut people out. Step three focus on the negative. We're really good at that. Elijah says, I've had enough. I'm no better than my ancestors. And it's kind of interesting because nobody's even asking if he was. But in his mind, this self-pity starts taking over. And, and what does self-pity do? It, it starts to exaggerate, doesn't it? I'm never going to be any good. I'm always going to be stuck in this mess. My life's never going to get any better. I'm never going to get that promotion or whatever it is, right? It's just exaggeration. It's all the bad things and none of the good things. The fourth thing we need to do if we want to get burnt out is forget God. Forget God. Think about this. We've seen God do miraculous things in the life of Elijah. Supernatural things. Birds feeding him. Uh, water from a brook during a drought. Raising the dead. Fire from heaven. All of these things. But now Elijah's going, well, God, I guess you're not going to pull through for me on this one which is what we do, isn't it? Like, I can look back uh, at the faithfulness of God in my life. He was there. He provided. He was strength for me. He's everything I needed. But whenever I get overwhelmed and down, I, I forget about his faithfulness. So how do you get burnt out? You wear yourself out. You shut people out. You focus on the negatives. And you forget God. And some of you are there today. So what I want to talk about for the rest of the time is, well, what's the answer? Because I think that's what we want to hear. And the good news is it's right here in the text. Elijah is hiding out. He's wanting to die. 
He's focusing on the negatives. He's doing all of those things. And, and God sends an angel who sort of represents him. And I, I want you to notice as we read through this, what God doesn't do through this angel. He doesn't preach at him. There's no sermon. He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't, he doesn't shame him. The, the angel doesn't say, well, if you only had more faith, if you only memorized more Bible verses and then quoted those verses and stop acting like a baby, then you'd be okay, right? There's none of that. There's none of that. The first thing the angel of the Lord says is eat and rest. Eat and rest. Verse 5, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals. In a jar of water, he ate and drank and then lay down again. Eat and rest. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Then strengthened by the food and certainly the rest that he got, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, this is the same mountain that a lot of scholars believe is where God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. And so he's saying, eat and rest and go to church, right? Eat and rest and go to where you're going to experience God. Eat and rest and, and go there. No, no sermon, no, no shame, no rebuke. Then the second part is this. God replaces our lies with his truth. Verse, verse 9 and 10. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, let's just pause here and acknowledge that God already knows what Elijah's doing there. He's not thinking, hmm, I wonder what, no. Nothing, nothing like that. God already knew that. What God wanted was for Elijah to voice his problem, to verbalize the lies that he's telling himself so that he could correct them. Okay? He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Well, he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. That's true. Right? The Israelites have rejected your covenant. Also true. Broken down your altars. It's true. And put your prophets to death with the sword. It's true. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. It's false. I'm the only one who cares. It's false. I'm the only one who's doing the work, the only one who can get it done. It's, it's false. You see, he owned more responsibility in this than was his. There's no one who cares like me. Everybody's depending on me. I'm all alone. It's false. And if you read on in this story, God says, well, Elijah, the reality is there are 7,000 other Israelites who've not bowed down to the false gods of Baal and Asherah. There are 7,000 others who are, are still seeking me and still praying. Don't believe the lies. You're not alone. And I can only imagine what God would, would say to us as we believe the lies today. Like the lies of my, my marriage could never be healed. Well, why? With, all, with God, all things are possible. Replace that lie with truth, or, or my kids, oh, they're never going to come back to Christ. What? God can move mountains. Nothing's impossible with him. Or I got this medical report. Is that too hard for God to handle? 
No, of course not. Or we, we think, oh, my life's never going to get better. I'm going to be all alone for the rest of my life. I'm stuck in this dead-end job or I'm stuck in this RV, right? God takes those lies and he replaces them with truth. The third thing God does is he speaks in a still, small voice. He speaks in a still, small voice. Now, I want you to remember who Elijah is used to dealing with, right? This God of fire, this God of power. So he, he's going to meet with God and he's probably thinking, oh, God's going to show up in this big earthquake or he's going to send this fire. But watch what it says, verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Now, sometimes when we're at our lowest, God seems to speak the softest. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes it's just a word. Sometimes it may not be much, but it's, it may not be loud, but it's exactly enough. And often I find that gentle whisper is saying, I'm here. I'm with you. You're not alone. I'm enough. Do this with me. It's the still, small voice of God. And the fourth thing God does for us and Elijah is so, is so good. God gives us something to do. God gives us an assignment. <laughs> Look at verse 15. It says, The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus, where when you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram, also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel, and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel Meholah to succeed you as prophet. It's a lot of, a lot of words there. <laughs> but in other words, go back to doing what prophets do, Elijah. Go back to doing what prophets do. And I believe God's saying that to, to many of us today. There's something for you to do yet. Maybe you feel down or hopeless or afraid or any of those things. Maybe you've lost confidence. God says, hey, if you're still alive, there's something for you to do. You're not done. He says, go and do what prophets do. And you're like, Jason, I'm, I'm not a prophet. Well, neither am I. So what are you? Are you a mom? Go back to doing what moms do. Are you a businessman or a businesswoman? Go back to doing what business people do. Do you have the gift of serving? Go out and serve somebody. Do you have the gift of, of giving? Go out and give something. Go back and do what God has called you to do and watch him give you life back. Watch him pour life back into you. I find a lot of comfort in stories like this where a guy like Elijah on top of the world, so close to God, and then he's on the bottom because I find that's kind of a reflection of how I live. And so after some of my greatest victories, I'm spent, I'm tired, I'm done. I'm like, God, I don't know if I can keep going. And so God says, rest. And that's when God replaces lies with, with truth. That's when uh, God speaks to me softly. And it's when God says, go back and do what you're supposed to do. Go back and do what you're supposed to do because he's, he's always enough. 
Now, I wish I could tell you that our house got done early, that the rest of the time in the RV was great, my burnout just vanished. But that's not how that happened. The circumstance was still hard. The process was still long, grueling, not very fun for me at all. But here's the thing. As I look back on that time, I was able to eat and rest. I was able to replace the lie that I was telling myself with the truth that God is with me. And I heard him reminding me to do life with him, to allow him into this crappy circumstance with me. Because I got to tell you, a crappy circumstance with God is way better than a crappy circumstance without him. And over time, God continues to work on me. And he continues to help me reframe those seven months into a reminder of my need for him and his provision for me. Now, I got to tell you, I still cringe a little bit when we pass the Granger sign. It's too soon. But he's still working on me, and he's not done yet. Let's pray. God, you are so good. Uh, Thank you for stories like this where we see men of God, people of God, at the highest of highs, and then the lowest of lows, because we all see that in our own lives. And so, God, give us, give us strength in the midst of burnout. Give us strength to, to come back to you, to eat and to rest, to, to do all of the things that we see Elijah do in this very difficult, scary circumstance. God, give us wisdom to know that you're with us. We are not alone. Don't let us believe the lies that we're telling ourselves but replace those lies with truth. The truth of your love, of your grace, of all the things that we have in you. God, we love you and pray this in your name. Amen.